Our scripture reading today comes from Isaiah 30, 15 through 22. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No, we will flee upon horses. Therefore you shall flee away, and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are, the, are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the, the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself any more. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. Amen. So we're continuing our series on listening to God. So I started back in August and we're working through that. We're going to camp out in this passage for two weeks. So I'm going to invite you to go on a hike with me. I'm going to invite you to go camp with me in this passage. So we're going to kind of do an overview. I'm going to say, here's the trail. Here's what we're going to go through. And then next week, we're going to camp out there. And we might camp out another week because we'll say, hey, I don't want to go home. This is too good. I want to stay in this passage and really learn what God wants to say to me. So here's the question. If I was sit down with you after church and we were to go, um, to Tinders or Subway or Bojangles and, uh, and just talk a little bit and say, what do you do when you don't want to do what God wants you to do? Now, some of you don't even want to hear that question, so let me repeat it again. What do you do when you don't want to do what God wants you to do? What do you do? Now, for some of us, that means, uh, all right, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, so you're going to just do what God wants you to do, but it, you're not happy about it. As a matter of fact, you're pretty frustrated about it. And, uh, and you do it with a bad attitude. Okay? But you're doing it. But if you're married or you have kids and they're doing it and you know they don't want to do it, you can tell right away they don't want to do it. <laughs> so, uh, easier way. What do you do when you have to pay taxes and you don't want to pay taxes? Okay? Let's make it a little bit easier. Man, my tax bill's really high. Good grief. All right? Now, you can jump up and down. You can scream. Uh, you can get all upset, but you still have to pay your taxes. Or you can pay your taxes and be really mad about it, but you know what? The government doesn't care. <laughs> they just want to see you paid their taxes. But it's so different in our relationship with God because God wants to know what's going on inside of you. What's in your heart towards him when he asks you to do what you don't want to do? 
Now, here in Isaiah 30, let me just read to you verse 1 uh, of Isaiah 30, because we picked up at Isaiah 30, 15, because this chapter is about stubborn people. And I know we don't have any stubborn people here at North Cross, but we're talking about that church down the street, like Newsong. You know, they've got a bunch of stubborn people, so we want to help them this morning. But listen to verse 1. And you got to look, I mean, the Bible is so much fun, because notice how it starts, Isaiah 30, verse 1. In the Hebrew, it's a word for sigh. God says, ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord. He refers to his people as stubborn children. Now, again, I know we have a bunch of amazing children here, but I'm sure if I said to uh, all the moms here, which of your child, children is the most stubborn? I don't think you could have much. They wouldn't wait very long. Oh, you know, so-and-so, she or he is pretty stubborn, okay? Uh, but listen to what he says about his people who carry out a plan but not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Um, stubborn people do what they want to do and might even do religious things, because that's what they want to do, because they don't want to give God their heart. They don't want to trust God. But they're going to go, they're going to do the right things. They're going to show up to church. They're going to read their Bible. They're going to pray. But their heart is estranged, alienated from the intimacy that God's made us to have with him. So, so here we are, right at the beginning of this passage. Uh, and God reveals himself in verse 15. And we see this beautiful logic of God's grace. Now, they're engineer here types, they're linear people types that I know. For some of you who are going to hear me preach and teach, you're going to go, he's all over the map, you know. Uh, I'm a right brain person, I'm not, I'm an abstract person, I think, in pictures and stories and all that. So I bounce all over the place. And some of you go, just give me point one, <laughs> give me point two. Give me point three and help me know what to do. I, you know, uh, pray for your next pastor <laughs> to be that person because I'm not that person. But <clears throat> hopefully what you'll hear, though, is that in God's grace, there is a logic. And notice what God does to the people who are stubborn. He reintroduces himself to them. He says, uh, basically, I am the Lord, the, I am the Lord, your God. Well, let me get it right here. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. So God reintroduces himself. I'm your creator and your ruler, the Holy One of Israel. And uh, God reintroduces himself to this stubborn people. He calls them children. You're stubborn and you've got a problem. Let's, let's get to know each other again. Let me reintroduce myself to you. My mentor, Jack Miller, said he had three spiritual laws. Number one is God is God. Number two, I am not God. Law number three, reread laws one and two, <laughs> okay? Uh, God is God, the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. I am not that, so let me start, read that again. The Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. Now let me ask you a word, Just this would be a little test if we had a quiz here, I'd say. Define the word holy for yourself. You know, what does holy mean? The invitation to be holy as God is holy. Does that sound inviting, exciting, enticing, like say more? Or does that go, oh, holy, I'm not holy. Does it feel oppressive? Does it feel like, does the word holy sound to you like, Ugh. 
that's the vegetables I'm supposed to eat on my plate that my mom always told me if I ate them, I'd get healthy and strong. But man, I do not like beets. I do not like broccoli. I do not like to eat. Here's my one vegetable I don't like. And uh, all of you don't send me Brussels sprouts afterwards, okay? <laughs> or invite me over to your house and make me eat what I don't want to eat. But my family loves Brussels sprouts. I do not like Brussels sprouts, okay? What? <laughs> all right. You know, and so they kick it all kinds of ways, but you can't hide the taste of a Brussels sprout. Anyway, I digress. All right, so, uh, um, but holiness, if you understand, it's the dessert. Again, a fun thing to do with people in your life groups, community groups, is everybody go around and say, what's your favorite dessert? Now, when I do this with new members' classes for the churches I've pastored, I'll go say, what's your favorite dessert? And women always say this. Anything with what? Chocolate. See, right away, these women jumped on it right away. Chocolate. You know, that's my favorite. Anything with chocolate in it is my favorite dessert, okay? So I'll give you a couple clues. One of my favorite desserts is banana pudding. My wife does not like to make banana pudding, but there's a restaurant in Winston-Salem that makes a banana pudding warm, tasty, to die for. It is so good. Now, now I've got all of everybody's interest. Did you want to say something, or are you just raising your hand? Okay, you're just saying amen. All right, so, uh, so anyway, but if you hear the word holy, you'd go, oh, wow. The opportunity to be holy and be in a relationship with holy God, it thrills me. It thrills me. Now, when I was a college student, um, I had a wonderful professor, a Christian who took college students to Israel every summer to be on an archaeological dig. So I got to go in the Bible, Beersheba, over there, the B is a B, so Beersheba. I spent a summer on an archaeological dig in Israel. You get up at four in the morning, it's very hot, so you had to get up early, start digging early. Um, you'd have a little toast and jam and hot tea. You'd come in and have breakfast, yogurt and something, pretty simple. And then at the end, by midday, you go eat a hot meal, which I always thought, that's crazy, but it brings your body temperature down. Uh, and then you just lay in your tent and sweat all the afternoon because it was so hot. But here's the thing. When you're on an archaeological dig, you're looking for pieces of pottery that have the word kadosh written on it. Now, kadosh is the Hebrew word for holy, Okay holy, kadosh, and it means to set apart. All right, so when you think about holiness, think, of, think with me now. If holiness means set apart, what does it mean? Set apart to, you fill in the blank. Don't, no, no answers, just think in your head. Um, what does that mean? If holiness means set apart, and you are holy because of your relationship with God, you relate to a God who is holy, set apart to Fill in the blank. What's the word? All right, here we go. The word is love. You see, the most exquisite thing to real about God is that God is love. And to be holy is to be set apart to receive his love and to give, his, give love. So when God calls you to be holy, he wants you to live in the delight and the joy that he loves you perfectly through his son so that you're set apart to love him and your neighbor just as he loves you. But sadly, most people have a false narrative about holiness, so when they hear the invitation as to holiness, 
like, man, you got something better on the menu? I, I'm not sure I want that. Now, I want you to see the logic of God's invitation because God says this in this passage. He says, in returning, and the Hebrew word is repentance because I'm looking at the ESV, if you have the NIV, the word really means in repentance and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Now in Hebrew, what we have here in verse 15 is what's called a chiasmus. It's an X, like this. So when you look at the verse, here's, if we were doing an inductive Bible study, what's called a manuscript study, you'd circle the word repentance, and then you'd go across to trust. And then when we get to the word rest, you circle that, and it goes to quiet. So God says, here's the cure for your stubbornness. Learn how to turn to me, return to me, and guess what? You'll learn how to trust me. Now again, this is easy to say, it's hard to talk about, but for most people, the idea of trusting God when they are being asked to do what they don't want to do is excruciating and impossible. And, and again, if you haven't understood this already, let me remind you of this or tell you for the first time, following Jesus is impossible. It is, the Christian life is impossible without him. And you start thinking you can do it on your own by reading Bible, praying, showing up to church, and you do it all on your own, you're going to be miserable. You're not, you're going to miss the very joy of being set apart. Okay, so it says here that we're being invited to what? Repent and trust. And here's what I want to invite all of you in the community to think about. If you have a hard time trusting God, ask people to pray for you. Actually, ask the elders to meet with you, anoint you with oil, and remind you that you belong to God, and be prayed over so that you will discover the thrill of trusting God. Because when you repent, you trust. You trust that God's going to show up for you and really help you. The other part that God says here is that you need to what? You need to rest. Now, the struggle for most of us is we're very restless, and when you're stubborn, you're rebellious. You're not doing what God wants you to do. Let's go to Psalm 66. If you cherish iniquity in your heart, if there's something you're cherishing more than your relationship with Jesus, God says, I will not listen to your prayers. Now, does that mean he doesn't love you? No, it means he loves you enough to not give you the answer to your prayers while you say, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what I want to do while I hold on to my love of money or my love of my physical ability or you just fill in the blank. What are the idols in your story? What are the voices other than God's voices saying, you need me, you need me, you need me. You deserve this. You earn this. You hear voices that you listen to rather than God's voice and you're just lost in the weeds. You're going... What's going on? Restless and rebellious. Resting and quiet and be still. Good listeners get really quiet and get curious. God, what are you doing? What do you want to say to me? Dylan just passed away. What do you want to say to me as I mourn and grieve with the twos and with Austin and Allie? What do you, what's the word you have for me? 
See, you, you won't ask that question. You won't even go there unless God is showing you, I need more of Jesus in my life so that I love better, to be set apart to love. That means I want to slow down. I want to ask God for help. Repentance means God help me. Uh, God help me. And then you get quiet and you want to listen. Now, again, you've got to love this about the Bible because here's what comes next. <laughs> God says, here's what I want to, you to understand about the cure your stubbornness. This is the cure. What? Repent and trust. Quiet and be still and listen. God says, that's it. Now, spoiler alert, <laughs> okay? How many of you love it, hate it when you hear somebody say, I watch this TV show, spoiler alert, and they don't even wait because you can't even turn the radio off or the podcast down. And, and they tell you what, the, you know, what happens. And you go, dang it, don't say spoiler alert. But I'm not going to wait either. When you go down to verse 21, and it says, here's the promise for you, that as I make myself real to you, as I reveal myself to you, I'm going to say, this is the way, walk in it. What is the way that Jesus or God's talking about here? It's verse 15. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, trust me, because I want to help you. I'm going to help you slow down and rest. And I'm going to help you be still so that you can hear what I want to say to you. So that's when it says this, when it says you'll hear a voice behind you. Now, one of the things about a voice coming behind you, it's always this is if you ever watch sheep or watch movies with sheep, the sheep are not following the shepherd. The sheep are gone. <laughs> the shepherd's kind of running behind them trying to keep, keep up with them. So if you ever see a picture, a good, a real picture of a shepherd and a sheep, the sheep are, they're running away. Someone says you hear a voice behind you. And Jesus is behind you right now saying, slow down. I'm going to show you the way again. But notice what it says. You've you got to love this about the Bible. Notice what it says. But you were unwilling. Actually, you know, IV translates as best. It says, but you would have none of it. <laughs> so here are these stubborn people. As God says, I'm the Lord, your God, who loves you perfectly. And here's what I want for you. And you go, not today. <laughs> That's not for me. I wish my wife would get some of this, or I wish my kids would get it, but that's not for me. That's not for me. You've got to love the Bible because it's so honest. There's another passage in Jeremiah 6.16 where God says, here's what I want you to do, and it says the people didn't want it. That's stubbornness. You ever talk to somebody who's really stubborn, and no matter how much you plead them and love them and try and help them, it's like, Leave me alone. Leave me alone. It's heartbreaking. God's heart breaks, but then notice what God says. God says, no, but I'm going to warn you what's going to happen. Listen to this. This is great poetic imagery here. It says, no. You said, nope, we got this. So it says, we're going to flee upon horses. We got all these great race cars we're going to race in. Think of anything you're depending on to make your life work apart from God. And God says, okay, you're going to flee on horses, um, and uh, you're going to run. And you said, we'll ride upon swift steeds. I'm gonna, we'll get the best. We'll have the best investments. We'll have the best of this. We'll have the best of this. And uh, so you're off, but you're being pursued by the things that are going to take you down. 
It says, a thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee. Um, when you're living on your own terms, when you're living, trusting in yourself, at some point fear kicks in and you feel like I've got to work harder, I've got to do more, I've got to be better, I've got to do 25 burpees instead of 10. Everything in says you're not strong enough, you're overweight, you need to work harder at looking better, and all that starts to race inside of you, and you're, you're driven by fear. And then notice what God says. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, at the threat of five you shall flee, till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. So God's saying, okay, here's what's going to happen. You're going to die all alone, a broken person, and this is the judgment in Deuteronomy. You're going to die with the banner over your story. When it comes to your funeral, when it comes to people talking about you, what happened to her, what happened to him, it's gonna, they're going to say something like, they were abandoned, they were forsaken, they failed miserably, they destroyed their life. They're going to die under the banner of cursed of God. That's, that's the picture here, okay? Now, um, it's dark, I agree. Um, but let me give you a little bit because we're going to come back to it this week. When you look at this, and I said, okay, just based on verse uh, 16, 17, where's the gospel in this verse? Where's the gospel? Where is the message of the gospel? Now, you can see it right here, that Jesus has gone ahead of you, and he knows how determined you are to do life on your own, but he's gone ahead of you, and he's going to say, I've died in the place where you would end up, so that you don't become that person. Jesus went to the place where the banner over him is cursed of God. He bore the curse of the judgment of who you would become apart from him and without him, so the banner over your story is loved by God, blessed by God. And that's the banner over Dylan's story. Is she a sinner just like us? Is there things that we could talk about? Oh, my gosh. But here's the joy of what we're going to celebrate on Tuesday over Dylan. Blessed of God. She didn't end up cursed of God. She ended up blessed of God. And you see it right here in this verse. Jesus is saying, I know what you're going to do. I know how you're going to end up, but I got you covered. And this, I've got you covered so much, I'm going to lay down my life for you so that you hear the logic of grace, okay? L listen to what comes up. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. God waits for you to slow down and wait for him. The Lord waits to be great. He's waiting for you to kind of wake up and go, I don't want to be that person. I am just so sick and tired of being sick and tired of all the bad choices I'm making, of who I'm becoming because I'm so stubborn. You know, I sat with a pastor that I'm counseling with right now, and he's got a lot of issues, things he's wrestling with, and he just talks about how he's alienating his family, 
and he said something that we're going to talk more about. And I have, you know, I have permission to tell a story, so don't worry. Hey, if I talk to Clyde, he's going to be dumping my stuff. <laughs> don't worry. Um, but I have his permission. He said, this is a pastor. He's being brutally honest. He said, my wife and my children are afraid of me. They're afraid of me. Are they Not because he's going to be physically, he's not going to hit them in that way but he's going to emotionally get angry in a way that is just so painful. The Lord is waiting for this pastor friend of mine to be gracious to him. And again, listen to what it says. The Lord waits to be gracious for you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. You want to know the good news of the gospel today? Do you need good news today? We're doing a study in our Sunday school on Hesed, mercy. God can't wait to exalt himself in your story with his mercy. We just sang it. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. And when you are a follower of Jesus, let me tell you what you can talk about that's so inviting to broken, lonely, disinherited, disaffected people is, let me tell you about God's mercy for me his patience with me. When Paul's trying to encourage Timothy to take the leadership role of the churches in Ephesus, this was like to be a bishop over a lot of churches. Timothy was very anxious and fearful. But listen to what Paul says, because this is my story, this is your story. He says, Timothy, let me tell you why God saved me. Now, if you don't know your Bible very well, you don't know God very well, you'll say, well, Paul would say, the reason God saved me is that I would do these three missionary trips. I'd lead all these people to Christ. I'd start all these churches. I'd write these amazing letters. He, he's, he's just getting, you think, Paul's setting Timothy up to say, Paul, Timothy, if you do what I do, you're going to be a CEO of the church of the kingdom of God. Okay, you're going to be the biggest, most amazing leader. Now, listen to what Paul says, because this is my story. He says this, the reason God saved me was to show how patient he is with me. And it's actually, the word in the Greek is unlimited patience. Now, let me tell you what I can boast in today. is how patient God is with me. And I want to help you understand how patient God is with you. And because he is patient, when you begin to understand that patience, that mercy, it changes you. Because it's not about me. <laughs> you really learn how to love people in a way that you would never learn how to love them because you're so thankful for God's patience. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is patient and kind. When, God, when Paul says, here's what love is, it's patient. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And so when Paul, when uh, Isaiah is speaking to the people here, he's saying, God can't wait to exalt himself in your life. He, he wants to show you how merciful he is towards you so that you begin to be in love with him. A lot of people will say, oh, I love God. But are you in love with him? See, that's the question. If you're in love with God, his mercy is so precious to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. 
You see, God is waiting for us to see that he has met the justice that we so desperately need here this morning. And uh, let me just read to you from this hymn. Uh, <clears throat> it's a uh, hymn I want us to sing if you haven't already sung it. It's a hymn by uh, John Newton. It says, let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. Okay, but here's the line. Let us wonder, grace and justice, just join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. So when justice looks at you, are you looking to the demand of what God requires of you to be acceptable to him and realizing I need grace? So notice what it says. It says justice and grace join and point to the mercy seat of God above the law of God. Um, it points to God's mercy seat and it says justice smiles and asks no more. You're accepted forever and ever. You have been vindicated by the Savior. Justice smiles and asks no more. And if you want to know how to do what you don't want to do, it's you begin to understand the radical love of Jesus that changed you on the inside out so that you do things you would never do left to yourself and you find yourself wanting to love in ways you never thought you could love or be loved. Justice smiles and asks no more. So this morning, if you're here, would you be free from the burden of your stubbornness? Would you be free from a rebellious heart? But here's how you understand you're rebellious, is you're restless. If you want to understand where your rebelliousness comes from, it comes from a restless heart. You're not satisfied. And to understand what it means to be satisfied with what Christ has done for you will help you to rest. That you've been set apart to receive love and be loved so that you would be holy as God is holy. Let us pray. Uh, Jesus, we're grateful that there's a lot here and there's a lot more than we could ever hope for. But I pray for all of us, you'd slow us down and realize how patient you are with us. Forgive us for how stubborn we are, Jesus. Um, how much we resist doing the most simple things you want us to do because we're so committed to ourselves. So, Jesus, again, heal my heart, heal North Cross community, heal our children, our older adults, our young adults, our middle-aged adults. Heal this community with the patience and kindness of our God because we know that it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. Jesus, we pray. Amen.